All right, open your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 19 through 22 this evening and in our character study of Ruth. And tonight the title is Blaming God for Our Problems. Blaming God for Our Problems, which, you know, when we experience rough times, you know, and we maybe don't see a way out of them, and maybe our difficulties look so big that we think that God can't even handle what I'm dealing with or what I'm going through. But Ruth's decision, when we started our study last week, Ruth's decision to stay with Naomi resulted in Ruth devotingly going with Naomi back to Bethlehem from Moab. From Moab. Bethlehem is a, is a, a type of the kingdom of God, and Moab is a type of the world. There are no details given about their trip or how it went because our text goes from the time of Ruth's decision in Moab to leave Moab to their arrival in Bethlehem. And the reason that there's no details might be because their trip might have been like anybody else's trip. What I mean by that is ordinary, not very eventful, like anybody else's trip just simply walking from Moab to Bethlehem. You see, nothing out of the ordinary happened. There was no excitement. There was no thrill. And that's, you know, a lot of times that's normal life for us every day. You know, we say the same old routine, go to work, come home, eat dinner, go to bed. Nothing out of the ordinary a lot of times, not very exciting a lot of times, but that's life. You see, God is who makes it exciting. Knowing that I know God, knowing that I have a relationship with Him, knowing I'm born again in Jesus Christ, that makes it exciting. And you know what? If I'm looking, I will see things. I will, God will show me things. But you know, I have to be looking. I have to be aware that God is wanting to use me and He's wanting to show me things that, that I may not be able to see. It reminds us that God's will, for the most part, is made up of the ordinary, the daily routine of life. But you see, that shouldn't be frowned upon because those things those ordinary things in life those are the key to achievement those are the things that and those that's where we you know we we get accomplishment in life and if you remember the story of of saul if you uh, I'm, uh, I'm sorry of david he you know he his dad sent him out to go look for some some lost camels or donkeys, you know, and, and so you can imagine a young man, his dad said, hey, son, some of our donkeys are missing. He said, I'd like you to go out and look for them. And, and, and I think as a young man, I said, oh, man, I don't want to go out looking for a bunch of donkeys, you know, searching the hills and, 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 you, know, and, and, and you know, trying to find these animals. Making a long story short, though, it, it, the end result of that is David ended up being anointed king of Israel just because he started out looking for some donkeys. You see, you don't know where this ordinary life, or ever ordinary routine of life every day is going to lead you. But we need to go. We need to have our eyes open because God uses those ordinary things in life to do great things with his people. So Naomi and Ruth, they found special blessings in Bethlehem when they got there. But you see, to get those special blessings, they had to faithfully endure. They had to faithfully take a slow, boring, unexciting, tiring, dusty walk from Moab to Bethlehem. 
So let this be an encouragement to us. Let this inspire us to be faithful about our ordinary day-to-day things in life that we have to do every day. Some people feel like doing the ordinary things in life uh, that that are not going anywhere is, is useless. They feel like they're not going anywhere. It's the same routine every day, and you hear that often. Hey, how's it going? Same old, same old, day after day. But we have to be faithful, and we have to do a good job, because Bethlehem, Bethlehem is where the blessings are. They're ahead of us. They're waiting for us. So let's begin now in verse 1. With, uh, let's look at verse 19 and then verse 22. Verse 19 says, Now the two of them, that is Naomi and Ruth, went until they came to Bethlehem. Notice, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? Go down to verse 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. These two verses tell us about them finishing their trip to Bethlehem. Now let's look at the things that happened to them when they got to Bethlehem and see what we can learn from it. In verse 16, remember we heard that, uh, we read that heard, Ruth had heard You know, Ruth told Naomi, I'll never leave you. Remember that pledge that she made to Naomi in verse 16 where she said, wherever you go, I will go. She told Naomi this in a very beautiful and impressive, she used very impressive words, beautiful words. But you see, and they were very touching. But you see, they were only words until they happened. What really proved Ruth's remarkable character was that she really did go to Bethlehem. Beautiful and touching words is all they are until there's matching behavior. What do we hear? Talk is cheap. I want to see you do it. I want to believe what you say you're going to do. We need to pay attention to this because we live in a time when the emphasis is on making impressive speeches or statements, saying the right things, but the way... Uh, we live doesn't match the words that we say. And a lot of people say great things, and politicians are great at that. Naomi and Ruth, they both agreed to take this trip together. Amos said in Amos 3.3, can two walk together unless they agreed? The answer is no. And this is just a simple truth. Naomi and Ruth both agreed on taking this trip to Bethlehem. And living there. Because their interests and their goals and their purposes for going there were the same. If they hadn't agreed on going there, they wouldn't have traveled together. And they wouldn't have had the fellowship that they had together. You see, if you want good fellowship with others, you'll have to have the same interests as they do. And the reason that fellowship at church sometimes isn't so good is because agreement is lacking as to why we have church and why we go to church. Some members just want to go to church to socialize. Others want to go to study God's word. Some want a Moab kind of life, that is a worldly kind of life. While others others want a Bethlehem kind of life, a Bethlehem kind of church, spiritual. The early church had great spiritual fellowship because they were in agreement. All you have to do is is read Acts chapter 1. 
Listen to Acts chapter 1, verse 14. It says, these all continued, notice all those that were there in the prayer, they all continued in, prayer, in one accord in prayer and supplication. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says they were, with, they were all with one accord in one place. Acts chapter 2, verse 46 says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple. In Acts 4, 24, it says they raised their voice to God with one accord. Notice the common phrase in all four of the, those verses. They were in one accord. They were in agreement with each other. Wouldn't that be great if our churches were like that today where everybody was in one accord? In verse 19, it says the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. Now the word until is the key word here in verse 19. The two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. That word until is a word of commitment. Because it shows the, 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 the excitement, it shows the faithfulness, it shows the steadfastness and the determination of Naomi and Ruth to go to Bethlehem. They didn't stop until they got there. They didn't quit before they got where they wanted to go. After crossing the Jordan River, it would be tempting to quit and to stay somewhere in, in the Jordan Plain rather than climb the 2,000 feet up the hills to Bethlehem. But they didn't give up because it says... They continued until they got there. You see, they didn't give up because they had this until mentality in their hearts and their minds. So they kept on going to the end. You see, if they hadn't had that until mentality in their pursuit, there would have been no Boaz to meet later on. There would be no Obed for Ruth. She would have never become the ancestress of Jesus. So we, we see how important this steadfast until is, this until mindset. You see, you'll never do much of anything in any area of life unless you have a committed until in your life. If there's no determination in your life, there won't be any fruitfulness in what you set out to do. The Apostle Paul exhorted the saints in his letters. He said, be not weary in well-doing. Don't get tired of doing well which is the same as telling them to have an until in their well-doing. The Thessalonians, Paul said to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 3.13, he says, be not weary in well-doing. To the Galatians, he said, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, notice, if we faint not. Galatians 6.9. Weariness of the work. Weariness of the work and fainting in the spirit is a result of not having a determined and passionate until mentality. Hey, we get tired in the work, but not of it. Adam Clark said, hey, we get exhausted in the work, wear ourselves out in the work, but then pray ourselves back to, to life again. He's our source. The promise of the reaping and the achieving for the Lord comes with the mentality of not quitting. And there, man, there are so many quitters today. It's easy to quit. It's hard to work out and to work through. It's hard to be committed to finish the mission when things get tough. It's easy to walk out. Verse 22, notice what it says now. Once again. 
So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Ruth was so devoted to Naomi on her return to Bethlehem that our text says that, that Ruth returned to Bethlehem with her, even though Ruth had never lived in Bethlehem before. You see, Ruth had, had said in her decision to go with Naomi in verse 16, your people shall be my people. Ruth, wanting to be described as a mem member of Naomi's family here, is a fulfillment of her desire. I, your people will be my people. Naomi and Ruth did not walk into Bethlehem unnoticed either. They caused quite a stir. Bethlehem was a small town. We know what they say about small towns. <laughs> Everybody knows everybody's business. Everybody knows what's going on. Bethlehem was a small town, so that when they got there, Man, they'd be noticed right away. And it caused quite a stir. Verse 19 says, the city was excited because of them. So you see, the reaction to their, to their arrival was very obvious. It caused a lot of, a lot of a stirring in town, a lot of commotion in town. The people were surprised and they were shocked. They were all in a tizzy about them when they saw them arrive. Again, verse 19 says, all the city was excited because of them. And the word all shows how much of a commotion there was in Bethlehem. Because it wasn't just family or friends that were happy to see them. It was the whole town that was in an uproar. Their return would be the topic of conversation at all the dinner tables that night. Their return would be the main topic discussed at the gate of the city and at the city well where people would gather together to draw water. Hey, did you hear about Ruth and Naomi? They're in town. Wherever people were in Bethlehem, Naomi and Ruth would be the topic of conversation. Because all of Bethlehem, it says, was in an uproar. They were excited. It tells us that all Bethlehem was informed as, in, as expected about Naomi and Ruth. We're getting a small town. They say, hey, have you heard? Naomi and Ruth is coming to town. And this is going to help explain what Boaz said to Ruth later on in chapter 2, verse 11, about him being fully informed about Ruth. He was fully informed about Ruth coming to town. In regards to Naomi, the word all also says you can't hide the effects of your sin upon yourself. The effects, the, scar, the scars of sin will show. The losses of sin will be known. And they were known in, in Naomi's life, which we're going to see next. Again, verse 19, notice verse 19. Again, well, at the end of the verse, they came to town. They all saw that, that they were, there was Ruth and Naomi. They were excited. And the women said, notice the last sentence in verse 19, is this Naomi? Is this Naomi? The people of Bethlehem were totally puzzled when they saw Naomi coming to town. They were so puzzled that they asked, is this Naomi? And they would especially be puzzled by how she looked, by her appearance. And who she was with. Who's this woman that's with her? Because you see, Naomi looked poor. She looked needy. She looked stressed out. And it was very obvious. Before this, she was quite well-to-do. And now she looks like she's in need. She looks like she's in poverty. Like the prodigal son. She left in riches and she comes back in rags. 
Remember, Naomi left Bethlehem to escape a famine. But she came back home looking worse than those who stayed in Bethlehem where the famine was. And Naomi's appearance here, it represents those who backslide and live in the world for a while. And then when they come back, maybe you've seen people like that. They disappear, you don't see them. They go out into the world, they walk away from God, and when they come back, man, they're messed up because the world's messed them up. Again, it represents those who backslide and live in the world for a while. And when they come back to the Lord and they return, they're, often, they're almost, almost unrecognizable because of the toll that sin takes on them. That righteous appearance and that joy of obedience is gone. The scars of sin are so obvious and they often hide the true identity of that person. And then the people would also be puzzled by who she was with. And also by who wasn't with her. Who was this stranger in town that came here with Naomi? Why isn't Elimelech her husband and Malon and Chilion her sons? Why aren't they with her? Where's her husband? Where's her two sons? Why wouldn't Naomi be with them? You see, sometimes when a backslider has been gone for a while, and like I said, they come back to the Lord, they're returned to church and God's people, they come back with new company. And it shows the effects of backsliding. Instead of former family, family members, there's new ones. And many times this reflects divorce. A guy leaves, he's gone for a while, and he comes back and he's got a, a new partner. Well, in, in the time that he had gone and, and been out in the world, you know, he ended up getting a divorce, he's got a new girlfriend, a new wife, and he comes back to church. And this creates an awkward situation for the returning backslider. Even though Ruth was a noble friend, a good friend to Naomi, Ruth's presence would still cause the people discomfort because she was a Moabite. But Ruth's excellent faith and behavior soon made her well, well accepted in Bethlehem. Naomi's response to the people's reaction in Bethlehem was a complaining response. Naomi was not in a good mood. And she explained her circumstances in a very miserable and depressing way. It wasn't a very good example to Ruth of faith in Jehovah God. But Ruth's faith survived and it grew anyway. A person will have to ignore a lot of people's complaining, and especially like the Naomi types of people, if they're going to grow in the Lord. You know, when we complain, we claim to be Christians, we say we're Christians, and we complain a lot. That's not a very good witness. Oh, I'm having problems with, and oh, this and that. And then we just complain, you know, and it's like, God doesn't exist in our life. We don't look at things through the eyes of God. We don't look at things through the word of God. Even though Naomi was negative here, in a few months she'd be so negative in her thinking because events would change her circumstances dramatically. But through Ruth, Ruth would give her much rejoicing 
The young convert Ruth would help the old convert Naomi to, receive, to revive her faith. And it often happens that way. Naomi complained about a lot of things. Notice verse 20. First, she complains about being bitter. Look at verse 20. But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. This definitely wasn't a good way to start off her arrival at Bethlehem. But again, what can you expect after she spent 10 years of irresponsibility being outside of the will of God? God didn't tell her to go to Moab. She went there on her own. She went out of the will of God. And that's why she encountered all of the, the bad things that she encountered. See, disobedience doesn't make a person sweet. It sours them. Disobedience doesn't make their speech better. It makes it bitter. And Naomi's bitter complaints or bitter comments concern a change of name and a change against God. Notice she says there, notice in verse 20, she says, don't call me Naomi. The word Naomi means pleasant. She call, says, call me Mara. It means bitter. You see, her bitter spirit was due to her changed situation. Naomi didn't want to be uh, called Naomi because the things, things with her weren't so pleasant anymore. She says, call me Mara, literally bitter. And the word bitterly in verse 20 is the same word that's translated grieves in verse 13. When earlier Naomi said to Orpah and Ruth, it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So you see, bitterness had really set in when Naomi was still in Moab. And it's not surprising because Moab was a place of disobedience and doesn't make the disobedient, and it, and it does make a person disobedient. Makes them bitter. But by going back to Bethlehem, Naomi went to the place where bitterness could be removed. J. Vernon McGee said this, and there was a blessing awaiting her in Bethlehem that would make the name Mara as unsuitable for her as she now supposed Naomi to be. So she first com complained about being bitter, and then she blamed God for her bitterness. Notice in verse 20, it says, For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. We mentioned already that Naomi accused God of making her bitter. And this was a very wicked and inexcusable accusation that she made against God. Ruth made a, uh, Naomi made a very terrible mistake of, of putting the blame on God for all of her troubles. And how many times do we do that? But this is typical. And it's been going on ever since Adam's day, from the very beginning. Even Adam suggested, Lord, the woman that you gave me is the cause of all of my problems. <laughs> it's the cause of my sin. And that's been passed on to us. And man, we're always pointing at someone or something for, for, for something that I did. And when Adam did that, he was putting the blame on God. He was suggesting, God, you know, if you hadn't given me this woman, this terrible fall of man could have been avoided. It's not God who, built, who dealt bitterly with Naomi. Naomi was reaping the fruit of her sin of disobedience. 
She was reaping the consequence of her sin. Adam and Eve ate the fruit against God's orders. He said, don't do it. But in doing it, it made their lives bitter. And thanks to Adam and Eve, it at times can make our lives bitter. They're only suffering the consequences. Adam and Eve are only suffering the consequences of their foolishness. And it wasn't God's fault. And Naomi and her family went against God's orders when they went to Moab. And it also produced bitterness in their life. And then she blames God for her losses. Look at verse 21. I went out full. Notice she says, I went out full. Oh, I had everything. I went out full, and the Lord knows had brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me or he's come against me? And, all, and the Almighty has afflicted me. Notice, all the blame is, is upon God right here. Let's look at the kind of losses that she suffered. First, it was family. Naomi's husband and two sons both died in Moab. And she came home to Bethlehem without them. She was emptied of the family. Her family that she had when she went to Moab. Going to Moab was a sin. It was leaving God's place and going to the world. And that's what sin does. It empties us. It empties us of many things. And it empty, how, many have, how many times have we seen sin empty one of their family? In a broken home. In an adulterous relationship. The empty ones of their family. All around today, we can see the emptying effect of sin when it comes to the family. Divorce, man, divorce empties many families. Alcohol empties many families. Adultery, abortion empties many families. Sin is not for the family. It destroys the family. Second, she suffered the emptiness of fortune. Naomi said, hey, man, I left Bethlehem full. That includes material goods. But like the prodigal son, Naomi's family spent all their substance in a far country. When we live in Moab, which is sin, all that we have is going to disappear. Sin empties the bank account. The material bank account and the spiritual bank account. We're materially and spiritually bankrupt. Third, Naomi suffered emptiness of faith. The people of Bethlehem could see this emptiness. The minute she opened her mouth and these bitter words and complaints poured out. This emptiness was the worst emptiness of all. The emptiness of her faith. Being emptied of faith, man, and fortune isn't nearly as awful as being emptied of faith. Spiritually, many believers who have backslidden have been emptied of faith and, and the fruit of its spiritual power and its joy and its peace. Backsliding can empty us so spiritually we think we can never recover. We can never come back. And over the years, I've talked to many like that who have backslidden and have just fallen away from the way. I said, man, I, I, can, I can never come back. I want to come back, but I can't come back. It's so hard.
What caused this emptiness? Verse 21, she says, I went out full. The cause of emptiness was the loss of Naomi's husband and her two sons. But the focus here is on Naomi's disobedience because she's the only one left. Notice she said, I went out full. It was the I, and a lot of people have I problems. And I don't mean the two in our head. The I, it's all about me. I this, I that, I want, I'm going, I, I, I. Where's God? God did not send her out. She said, I went out. She went on her own. God did not send her out full. We make a lot of excuses for leaving the Lord. It might be certain circumstances against us. Friends might become cold. We might become misunderstood. But we put it all together as we will, however we want to look at it. But the main reason for leaving God is expressed in that one short sentence, I went out full. And that one word, I. How many times men go to the world and they adopt the world's ways to keep from feeling empty and being empty through the alcohols, the drugs, or whatever it might be, and yet they end up empty in every area of their life because they've done that. And the fault lies with I and not with others. And then we see the Lord's compassion in her emptiness. Verse 21 says, notice, the Lord has brought me home. That's the grace of God, the compassion of the Lord brought me home where I should be, where I belong. Without even knowing it, Naomi is speaking well here of God. And she's admitting that he's the one who brought me home. Even though she complained about God and she tried to condemn God by saying that he brought her home empty, she is suggesting in her words that God had emptied her. But even though she tried to accuse him in her return, she spoke more truth than she realized in acknowledging that God had brought her home. And here we see two things about God bringing her home. Why God brought her home and when God brought her home. It shows the compassion and the grace of God in the where and the when. First, why God brought her home. It was God's grace and it was his compassion that brought her home. You see, he could have left her in Moab. He could have left her in Moab to go through all of her troubles. But you see, in his grace, he brought her home to experience blessings. And you know, that's what God wants to do with you and me. He wants us to take us out of Moab. He wants to take us out of this world. And he wants us to bring home to the kingdom of God where we will experience the blessings of salvation. Because we'll never come back on our own. We'll never come back home on our own. It's only the power of God's limitless grace that restores somebody who wanders off. If it wasn't for His wondrous grace, we would all still be in Moab today. Second, when God brought her home. God brought Naomi home, notice, when she was empty. That's usually the way we come back home from being out in the world, empty, broken, stressed. It was when Naomi was full that she left the will of God. And that's many times, you know, we're full. That is, we have everything that we need. Everything is going well. I don't need God. 
In Deuteronomy 6.11, God warned the children of Israel. He said, when you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt or Moab. Prosperity is a bigger hindrance to walking in the will of God than affliction. Many people have been emptied before they came back to God. We've seen many church members today who, because of their great prosperity, are not very regular in their church attendance or the relationship with God. It's only when they're emptied and it's the loss of those riches that they'll become regular to church again. Oh, I better go back to church. My life's messed up right now. If you let your fullness take you away from God, you're asking for a divine emptying in order that God can bring you back. Then the blame that she, she brought upon the Lord. Notice she says, the Lord has testified against me. Or she's saying, the Lord caused me all of these problems. And here's another criticizing comment, uh, a comment about God. Naomi was feeling the sting of conviction. But she was not repentant. And rather than repent, she criticizes God, blames him for her troubles. But God was blaming her for her troubles. Because you see, she was to be blamed, not God. But again, this is typical of unrepentant sinners. Naomi didn't like to be blamed for her sin. Who does? The phrase, notice, testified against me is very common. And it's applied to a man, maybe, who gives witness concerning uh, another in a court of justice. We don't like that person that testifies against us and tells the truth about us. This person would no doubt be looked at as an enemy. Naomi complains that the Lord himself was turned against her and he was bringing her sins up for judgment. And Naomi is right in saying God is testifying against her because she's wrong in making it look like it's God's fault. She's like those people in church congregations who get very upset when the pastor's preaching condemnation upon their sin rather than repent of their sins rather than repent of their sins they blame the pastor with the fault and they say well you know where's the love and the preaching you're not making me feel very good i'm not supposed to the Word of God is not, is not supposed to make us, make us feel good. It's to show us our sin, to convict us of our sin. And that's not me. That's the Holy Spirit. I'm just passing off what God said. And the Holy Spirit brings the conviction. And we don't like it. And when it starts to happen, man, we start squirming in our seat. It starts getting hot. And, oh, man, I can't wait till we're out of here. And, oh, Rather than repent of their sin, they blame somebody else. They blame the pastor. God is going to be the chief witness against man for his sin. Because you see, God knows all that man does. And unless man repents of his old sin and he comes to Jesus for salvation, he's going to stand before that judgment seat of God in eternity and he's going to be accused by God of all of his sins. And we read that in the book of Revelation. Chapter 20, verse 12, God has a book, and it's called the book of life. 
where he's recorded all of men's sins and he says on that day that book is going to be open and oh man all of those sins that's going to be a big book all of my sins if it wasn't for jesus and if it didn't get saved all of those sins would be would be read all those things that i thought god didn't know about all those things that people don't think god knows about man they're going to be exposed and what a, what a horrible time that would be. And they're going to stand before that judgment seat of Christ in eternity, and they're going to be accused by God of all of their sins. That is, again, God has the book of life where he's recorded all of their sins, and they're going to be judged from that book. And so when God testifies against the sinner, when those books are open and those sins are read, it... it it's all going to be based on fact. And it's going to be truthful and it's going to be absolute. And there will never be any time that whatever he says is wrong. The fault lies totally with the sinner, but never with God. It says she was broken in verse 21. The Almighty has afflicted me, she says. The Hebrew word translated afflicted here means to break, to break into pieces, to spoil. Literally, to spoil by breaking to pieces. It's translated by such a word as break, evil, afflicted, and hurt. And in Naomi's case, it speaks about the affliction and the pain of chastisement. God broke up her home. God broke her will. He'll go to any length to get her back, to get you and I back to Bethlehem. And don't, don't let it become that drastic. Where he has to take me down to nothing in order to look up and to recognize him and to go back to Bethlehem. But Naomi complained. She had a poor attitude about her chastisement. Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 6 and verse 11 says this, Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Now what does that say about those who aren't chastened? The Lord doesn't love us. And that's because we're his children. The Lord only chastens his children. We don't chasten our neighbor's kids, though we might like to. But we chasten those that we love. We chasten those that belong to us. And that's what God is saying here. He says, I chasten those that I love. Now, no chastening seems joyful at the present, but painful. And nevertheless, afterward, though, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It's for our training. It's for our good. It's for our learning. And you know what? God is still breaking things today. He's still breaking people today in order to make them useful for Him. And sometimes He has to break people's hearts in order to win their heart. Remember the pictures with a torch inside, had to be broken by Gideon's army before they could be used of God to drive the enemy out of the land. Remember in Mark chapter 2, a roof of a house had to be broken before a man could be brought to Jesus for healing. Remember the loaves and the fish had to be broken before they could feed the, the, the thousands who had listened to Jesus teach. The alabaster box had to be broken for its contents to be poured out on Jesus to honor him. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. 
All of this indicates that Jesus also had to be broken in order for him to be our Savior. Some people are broken in chastisement, and that's the purpose if need be, like Naomi was. Others are broken in, in trials. Others are broken in sacrifices, by sacrifices. And if God has broken you in some area of your life, don't be, made, uh, be mad and be discouraged. Be encouraged, because that's to make you more useful to him. Look at verse 22. Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. It says they came to Bethlehem at the, at the beginning of the barley harvest. This was important, very important, because it tells the particular time of the year that it was. It was April, which is, where, is when the barley uh, ripened in Israel. And it tells us some important things about our hopes and situation of Naomi and Ruth. Important things about the hopes of situ and situation of Naomi and Ruth. Again, no, Naomi was told in Moab, uh, Moab uh, in chapter 1, verse 6, the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Naomi was told that in Moab. That's why they were going back. As soon as she could see Bethlehem, she could see the crops of barley that were ready for harvest. How exciting that must have been. And that would be great proof about what she heard about the bread that she, that, 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 uh, that she was going to get in Moab when she saw Moab. It would prove the faithfulness, it would prove the truthfulness of what she heard about the bread. This also shows the proof about the message about the bread of salvation, Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 1, verse 3 says, To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible uh, proofs. This, this verse sums up the abundance of proofs about Jesus Christ and his work as Savior and the saving of men's souls. The gospel message, man, it has many proofs. They're there if you want to look them up. They were there if you want to find them. You know, for the skeptics, they're there. They're there for those who, who, who deny the bread of salvation. If they're looking for it, and they'll find it. God says he's a reward of those who diligently seek him. But all the people don't want him to know because they feel, well, I'm not responsible because I didn't know. It's your duty to know. The gospel message has many proofs for the skeptics who deny the bread of salvation. Naomi came home empty, but she wouldn't stay empty for long because the barley harvest would give enough bread for them. She would ha soon have enough bread. In chapter 3, verse 17, it says, Don't go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. So after Naomi returned to Bethlehem, she was not to go to her mother-in-law empty-handed. It's always a time of harvest when we go where God tells us to go. It will always be a good time for us because he'll provide for us. Naomi went to Moab full, but she was emptied out. But you see, in the will of God, she came to Bethlehem empty, and then she was filled. Harvest time is usually a joyous time. In the Bible, harvest time is used as an example of joy. We see it in Isaiah 9.3. He said, you have multiplied the nation and increased its joy, and they rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest. Naomi found sorrow in Moab, again, a type of the world. 
but she's going to find joy in Bethlehem, which is a type of God's kingdom. And we'll see that in the last chapter. Moab was truly a place of sorrow for Naomi. She left three graves there to prove it, her husband and two sons. The world just takes away. It doesn't give. Moab did give some pleasures at first, but like all the pleasures of sin, they were only for a season, a short time, and they don't last. And sorrow soon set in for Naomi. But again, that's what disobedience does. That's what sin does. It brings sorrow. Obedience brings joy and fullness of joy. Joy is in Bethlehem for Naomi, and her move back to Bethlehem would, th would through Ruth, eventually bring an announcement of great joy to others by an angel who said to the shepherds, when Jesus was born many centuries later, behold, I bring you tidings of good joy. Unknown to Naomi and Ruth, when they came into Bethlehem and saw the beginning of the barley harvest, that this harvest was going to be very, very divine for them. Because it would bring Ruth into contact with Boaz and the baby boy named Obed, who was the grandfather of David and the ancestor of Jesus Christ. So in closing, when we come back to walking in the will of God, providence starts to work for us again. The promise that Paul gives us in Romans, or God gives us through Paul in Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. But this is not a promise for the disobedient, as the verse says. All things don't work together for good when you're sinning. So we need to get back. Always. If we stray from the path of God, we need to get back on the right path of the will of God. And then things will work for our good. They'll work out for our good. Divine providence will become your helper again. Father, thank you so much for your word, Lord. We thank you for the wonderful word of God. And Father, we pray that we are all walking the right path tonight, God. The Father, our eyes are on you. And that your word is a light to our path and a lamp to our feet, God. Through the word, we see where we are to go as well as where we're not to go. What we're to do as well as what we're not to do, God. So, Father, I pray for each one here tonight, God. And if, those are, if there's anyone here tonight that's not on that right path, to get back on it. To get your eyes back on Jesus. To get back to Bethlehem. Get out of Moab. Because there's nothing good for you there. So Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your wonderful mercies, Lord. We thank you for your sacrificial love. We thank you for Jesus who gave up his life on the cross for us, Lord, that our sins would be covered, they'd be washed under the blood, and they would be given, forgiven for those who confess them. And so, Lord, we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.